Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, this is the first episode of the second year of the Fan Experience podcast. Welcome to episode 53. Well, we're celebrating the start of our second year of this podcast. Fellow Phoenix Rising fans, Tori and Ash, are celebrating their engagement, which took place this month in the South End during a Phoenix Rising match. Congratulations for getting down on one knee, Tori and Ash. Congratulations. He's a keeper. I don't mean a goalkeeper. He's like someone you want to keep. Just need to be clear, hey, to have any confusion on that. Hey, Tori was on the show for a segment on supporter culture last year, and it's really cool that he and Ash can blend their love for Phoenix Rising with their love for each other. In other happy news, I chatted with New Mexico's former awesome striker, Devin Sandoval, at the Open Cup game last week. Rising fans will remember him as a fearsome opponent and one of the best strikers in the league. Last year, Devin Sandoval posted a very touching video on social media where he told us about how he experienced chest pains, followed up with a trip to the doctor who found blood clots in his heart. Scary stuff. Well, good news. Sandoval's in good health. He's back training with the team and he hopes to be back on the pitch with them before long. If he does, it'll be an awesome comeback story. Of course, you remember that Phoenix beat New Mexico in that Open Cup game and we're on to round four, where we play Sacramento Republic in Sacramento. That game is on May 11th and we'll preview that in the next episode. The Open Cup is turning out to be seriously exciting, starting with 103 clubs with now just 32 remaining. John Morrissey from at USL Tactics on Twitter and the USL Show, he's on with us to talk about a few of the Open Cup results and to bring us the highlights from week seven of the USL Championship League including delightful news about our East Coast rivals, Tampa Bay Rowdies and Louisville City, both losing points over the weekend, as well as our West Coast rivals, New Mexico and OC. Both teams played over the weekend and both lost, with OC suffering a particularly enjoyable loss to John Morrissey's home team in the 11. That's coming up, but to kick things off today, we've got an interview with Phoenix Rising striker Greg Hurst. This is the second time we've put the spotlight on Greg Hurst. The first time was when we signed him back in January of this year. We had Brandon Mays on the show to basically give us a scouting report on Greg Hurst. That was episode 41. Feel free to check that out to get an idea of how highly he was thought of at his former club, Union Omaha. After the interview with Greg Hurst, we've got Teo Mackey, a sports journalist with the Arizona Republic, on the show to break down Phoenix Rising's last game, a 2-1 win against Miami FC on Saturday, April 23rd. Phoenix Rising fan and season ticket holder James Bacon also joins us to give his thoughts on the game. Following on from that, we've got our monthly roundup for the month of April and a preview with expectations for the games in May. The April roundup is very different from our March roundup simply because of the success the boys have earned on the field. Long-term Phoenix Rising supporter Dominic Kearns brings us that segment. It's awesome. Dom is awesome. Stick around for all that and stick with us for a preview of our next game away to Los Dos. There's a lot to cover, a lot to get excited about. Let's kick things off with that interview with Greg Hurst. Enjoy. This is Rick Shantz, the head coach of Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Uh-huh. 
Phoenix Rising family, I'm delighted to welcome Phoenix Rising striker Greg Hurst to the show today. Greg, thanks for taking the time to join us. You're originally from Scotland. You came to the US and played with two USL League One teams, including the current champions Union Omaha in Nebraska last year. So you've scored several goals for us uh, with Phoenix. You've, you've been here just for seven weeks of league play. What's your favorite goal so far? I think my favorite goal so far would have to be the header against New Mexico, the most recent one. Um, I think just to get us through the next round of the cup, uh, obviously just coming on as well. Um, and it was, uh, it was a pretty nice header as well. So I think that's my favorite one so far. And thanks to, was it Santi Moore that headed Santi, that to yeah. you? Put on a plate for me. It was class. It was yeah. pure class. So you signed with Phoenix Rising on January 17th this year. We'll talk about your life on the pitch, but first, how are you settling in? How's it been moving from Nebraska to Arizona? Uh, obviously a lot different, changing weather, climate and everything, but uh, I'm loving it. You know, I feel like I've really settled in well here. Uh, I've still got a lot of exploring to do, but everything I've seen so far is, is brilliant and uh, I just love being here. So cool. I'm from Ireland and same thing. I just love it. I feel like it's the best move I ever made. I, I moved to Boston. I was there for a couple of years and then I moved down here and I always tell people the best move I ever made was to move to Phoenix. I love it. Yeah. So you're finding your way around the city. Have any of the lads taken you out and shown you the sights? Yeah, to be fair, a lot of the boys have, were really good at that when I first came, like helping, you know, going out for dinners and just showing me different places. Um, so it's better for me than I can go and take my girlfriend to those, those places as well. But um, yeah, we're figuring it out new places every so often to go and eat and, you know, go and spend some, some downtime. Brilliant. Have you been out of town? Did you get up north at all? I've not been yet, but a few of the boys said I definitely need to get up there. Yeah, especially before it gets too hot. Well, you know, when it gets hot here, it's cooler up there. So yeah, no rush to get up there. But yeah, yeah it's amazing. Sedona, Flagstaff, so beautiful. So let's let's uh, talk about when you were a fan, when, when you were growing up in Scotland. Did you have a team that you supported? Yeah, I supported the Glasgow Rangers growing up. Okay. And did you go to matches? Uh, I went to a, a couple, but because I was playing uh, on Saturdays as well, it was always difficult to get to games, um, but always tuned in, always watching. I still do. Okay, gotcha. So I've got a, a question. I'm not sure you're going to be able to really answer this, but what's the difference between being a fan of a Scottish Premier League team versus a fan of Phoenix Rising? Um... I don't know. It's kind of it's a little harder to compare. Obviously, it's back home in Scotland, it's um, you know soccer is everything. Uh, it's like life or death uh, over there, and you know it's what people work Monday to Friday to go to the game on the Saturday. So the passion's always there, and that's the best thing I can compare it to here. Is you know the Phoenix fans have been incredible since I got here. I heard a lot about them, and there's so much passion, uh, and it just creates such a good environment for us to play in. Um, and that's why we always thank them after every game, no matter the the result. We always go over to the, the South End and, you know, clap the fans and sure. give them a thank you because it's they really help us get through games. Sure. So do you also have a team or did you grow up supporting a team in the uh, EPL? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Man United fan, so it's not great right now. But um, just hoping that that gets a little bit better soon. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So which takes priority? You know, when you're living in Scotland, which takes priority? Your Scottish team or your English Premier? Scottish team, always. Really? Yeah, really? Okay. for sure. Okay. 
So what's the story with you wearing the number 17 jersey for Phoenix Rising? I've got a theory that because you were signed on January 17th, that's why it's number 17. I actually didn't, I didn't put those two together, uh, but I was offered a certain numbers that were free. Um, and 17 was the first number I had when I came out to the States. Um, and it was also a number I used to have when I was playing boys club football back home. Um, so I thought that was kind of a nice way to tie it in and take the 17 again. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So you've had a great season so far with Phoenix Rising. You scored in the season opener against Monterey Bay. You scored twice against New Mexico in one week, first in a league game and then in that open cup game. So you might be Phoenix Rising's, or I'm sorry, you might be New Mexico's favorite Phoenix Rising player. It was Joey Calistri. So definitely talk to him about that. Yeah, I've had um, I've had one of the journalists from New Mexico on the show, and he's talking about you know how they have their their people at different teams, and by far their number one guy to hate from other teams was Joey Calistri. Yeah, but you might have topped that. So we're going there um, in a couple of months or May even. Uh, yeah, next month I think, yeah. or yeah, soon enough anyway. I'm sure it'll come around. <laughs> Yeah, so that'll be fun. And hopefully you'll score there too. Give them something to really talk about. So tell us about the style of play um, and adapting to the style of play with Phoenix Rising. Has it taken a lot of adapting? Have you had to make a lot of adjustments to your positioning, your playing style? I think, um, you know, when I spoke to Rick before I came, uh, obviously I watched a lot of Phoenix games last year. And luckily enough, I've played in teams that or of a similar style to Phoenix. So it was kind of, it wasn't more about fitting into the style of play. I f- felt like I could, I could do that. It was, it's more the intensity and the, the physicality of the league. It's a big step up from league one in, ter- in that sense. So, you know, working harder every day, get stronger and faster. Um, but I'm confident enough and I rely on my ability to, to, you know, do as well as I can until I can get that, that little bit stronger and that little bit faster. Great. Okay. And that's something that I definitely wanted to ask you about just that transition from league one to the championship league. So you're feeling that there is a tangible difference in, in the intensity of play, let's say. Yeah. I feel like I, I really noticed that the, the first three game week we played, we had uh, three games in the one week and I was the last game on the Saturday, the third game, I was, I was getting tired. Um, and that's where it really hit me that, you know, each game is just, a lot more intense and a lot more physical and it's you know it's 90 minutes of just running chasing and mentally as well you have to be switched on the whole game which is which tires you out as well um sure. but I'm, I'm loving the challenge sure so then what about the experience does it feel like it's a bigger deal playing in the championship versus league one i think um definitely our home games make us feel like that because of the fans and how intense they are how loud it gets um they do seem like somewhat bigger games but obviously I was grateful enough and lucky enough to play in front of great fans in Omaha who you know had the highest average attendance in League One um, so I, I was used to that and it's kind of it's similar but just a little step up I think in terms of the, the capacity and the, the amount of fans we get. Okay okay well tell us how did the transition happen um, for you to make that move? I think there was a lot of waiting um, you know we finished the League One season and I was speaking to quite a few clubs and it was just a case of, you know, figuring out where I could go next that 
really would help me develop as a player and keep growing. Um, still like 25 years old, I knew I had to go somewhere that would give me the platform to go and play and make me better. Um, and I think once I got the call from Phoenix, it was for me, I felt like that was the best the best one I could pick. Um, you know, there's a lot of great players here that I can learn off and obviously Rick and the coaching staff, I heard nothing but great things about them. And, you know, already I think I've started to add things to my game that, you know, they've they've helped teach me. Great. What's it like working with Rick? It's great. I really enjoy it. Uh, I think he understands me as a player as well, which is always important. Um, he kind of gives me the freedom when I'm playing to, you know, play off the cuff a little bit and use my instincts to play. Um, but also, he knows, and I know that I have a role to do, and he's, you know, coached me um, so far to understand that role and how it helps the team. Awesome. Awesome. So talking about coaching, so we know that goalkeepers have a dedicated goalkeeping coach. So do you get specialist like technical training for your position? Yeah, I think it, mostly the like Danny or Chappie, the assistant coaches will help with a little bit extra after practice. You know, I can go up to them and just say, I want to work on certain finishing or, you know, certain aspects to my game. And they'll spend 15, 20 minutes with me and the other strikers and, you know, help us just get repetition and help add that different parts to our game. Gotcha. So as we're moving in to round four of the Open Cup, so there, there's no draw there, right? It's either win or lose. Yeah. And so might go to penalties. Are you guys practicing penalties? Yeah, we do practice them, um, you know, before the cup game, just in case, you, you know, you never know it might go to penalties. Um, so there's always a little bit of competition there because everybody wants to take one. Gotcha. Sure. So in in the last game that we played this weekend against Miami, we saw Luis Sejas kick a really hard shot on goal and it got one of the the, um, the defensive players in the side of the head. Down he went and it seemed to have knocked him out. Mm-hmm. Scary moment. But I'm just wondering, what's the worst injury that you've sustained? Um, I think, to be honest, like the worst one that I've had through contact was a f- fractured my hand um in my last year in Chattanooga um but in terms of worst injury I'd say I tore my quad at the start of that year um that was very painful there was no contact obviously it was just running but I was out for a little bit of time with that and that was probably the the worst and most frustrating one I had did that require surgery no um luckily enough with the hand everything kind of fractured and stayed in place so it was just a case of giving it time to mend um and then my quad was just a lot of rehab work and waiting for it to heal okay glad it did yeah um so you can't score in every game right so obviously if you score it's a success so how do you measure success if you don't score the result um at the end of the day it doesn't matter who scores as long as we're winning games um obviously for a forward you want to score as many goals as possible but like you said it's it's impossible to score in every game um unless you're Ronaldo Messi or someone like that but I think measuring success just comes down to the team uh if we're winning games and we're progressing up the table and earning points then it's then it's a success okay so you mentioned Messi Ronaldo do you have a favorite player yeah mine's Ronaldo um but currently right now, my favourite player is uh, Kareem Benzema. Uh, oh, wow, yeah. I love the way he plays as a number nine and uh, try and take little bits of his game and hope to be, you know, even a quarter of the player he is. Sure, sure. 
Okay, so let's talk about Union Omaha for a second. Obviously, a really good team. They've proved themselves in League One. And then just last week in the Open Cup, they took down the MLS team, uh, Chicago Fire FC. Incredible. So what, what was your season like with them? Um, you, you, you moved to, to the US, you played for Chattanooga Red Wolves, you spent 2019, 2020 with them, and then you moved to Union Omaha. So yeah, what, what was that season like? It was just very successful, obviously, but tell yeah, us about it. I think it was, um, you know, so far, the most enjoyable complete season I've, I've ever had. Um, you know, obviously when you get rewarded with winning the league and the championship at the end of it, it sticks out. Um, but just a great year in general. I got to play with some some brilliant players, some really good, really good people, meet a lot of great people. You know, the fans were absolutely brilliant with me from day one. Uh, the coaching staff were great, you know, really let me develop and gave me the platform to go on and, you know, make that jump to the championship. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to do it if it wasn't for Omaha. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for everyone there, the whole organization. Um, but it was just a really fun and enjoyable year. Awesome. So going back just a little, a few years before that, Greg, when you're a teenager, you signed to the Scottish Premier League. So um, tell us about how all that came about. Um, I was just playing for a local team part-time um, and I got a call from an agent who was, a, he's a lawyer as well. And he was basically saying to call him back. Um, and he kind of led off with the fact he was a lawyer. So straight away, I kind of panicked. I was like, Oh, I think I'm in trouble or something. Um, called him back and I had to sit down with him and he'd been watching me with a couple of scouts for, you know, a, a few months. And he had mentioned that he thought that, you know, I should, I should go pro. So, you know, I had a chat with my dad. He went off and worked on a few things and ended up going on trial at Everton um for two or three weeks which was an incredible experience um came back to scotland and then i got a call saying that st johnson wanted to to offer me a contract so it was only 25 30 minutes from the house so went up there on transfer deadline day which was kind of exciting um got paper signed and then you know the dream kind of turned into reality of being a professional soccer player so that was that was a great experience what age were you uh i 17 i was just about to turn 18 amazing amazing so tell us some more about your time with everton and you took a special trip when you guys were together yeah um obviously you know seeing these players like a lot of the americans i know tim howard was there at the time uh watching him play or train day in day out players like romelu lukaku it was just a incredible experience and then like you said we got a nice trip to to ireland to play a pre-season game or two uh, i actually scored in one of them um, which is a great feeling um, but that was a that was a good trip and it was nice to I think we got the ferry over with all the boys um, and that was just a, a kind of a memory I probably won't forget Awesome so did you guys go to Dublin just stay in Dublin or did you travel around a bit? I think it was just outside Dublin actually um, we stayed at a Radisson Blue um, I remember that for some reason um, oh. they had training fields there and stuff so we'd, we'd go out and practice and then had a couple of pre-season games uh, I think it was a, a week-long trip and then back to Liverpool Wow so when when you you played in Scotland then for several years and mm-hmm. so what made you take the jump to uh, to Tennessee to play in League One? I think um, I kind of got to the point where you know, I, I got released from St. Johnston Um I wasn't really sure if I was if I wanted to keep playing or not. I was I was kind of in two minds. Um, so I went part time and just kind of wanted to enjoy football again. 
And luckily enough, the one of the players there knew the assistant coach at Chattanooga. Um, and I kind of mentioned to him that I was looking for like a fresh start and, you know, traveling to a different continent is kind of the perfect way to do that. So I kind of, you know, I had the chat with my family and I was like, I think it's something I want to do. And they backed me 100%. So, you know, I sent them over some video and they were like, yeah, we want you to come over, sign. So I think got the visa sorted and hopped on a flight. And the next thing I knew, I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Wow. So what what did you expect and what did you get? To be honest, I, I didn't know what to expect. Um, America was always somewhere I wanted to visit. Um, uh, I never thought I'd ever live there, but it was definitely somewhere I wanted to try and experience. So I went in with an open mind and it was just, I was blown away when I got there. Just almost like living in a movie for the first month or so. Uh, everything you see on TV was exactly the same. And, um, I, I really tried to embrace it and embrace the, the culture there. And it was such a friendly place. It was really easy to meet people and make friends. And I love my time there. Awesome. And you had two years there with Chattanooga, Chattanooga Red Wolves. And then why did you leave? What drew you up to, to, to the cold of Nebraska? I think um, at the end of that second year, I, I wanted to go championship, but because of COVID, it was a shorter year. So a lot of teams were saying, you know, another year in league one um go and prove yourself again and you know we'll come back to it so i thought in my head that um i seen that i watched a lot of Omaha's games that year and i really thought they were a good team um and gmms the coach called me and again i said i want to come win a championship and you know hopefully progress on to the next level and he really helped me with that and bought into that he knew what you know i was i was coming there to to get success for the team and then hopefully progress my career as well and you know, once he, he gave me the platform to do that, and I think that was the the one thing he really believed in me to come and, and help his team do that. So it was the, the best decision I made, I think. Okay, great. So what kind of a system did, did they play? Were you the lone striker? Was it a two-striker system? How did that work? We had two strikers, a 4-4-2, me and Evan Conway up top most of the time. Um, and I, I've been a winger most, most of my, my career, so he singled out that he wanted me to be a number nine for them and play together with Evan. He thought that would work really well. And I think we both ended up with 14 and 13 goals. So something was right. Um, But no, I really enjoyed that. And it helped me add something to my game. Um, And then obviously, you know, when Rick called, he called me and said he he sees me as a striker as well, but knows I can play on the wing, um, which just helps because, you know, it's another position that I can play and feel comfortable in. Right. So do you typically play, you know, if you, if you look back through history, you typically playing on the left side. The reason yeah. I ask is because Union with Union, Union Omaha, you scored a whole bunch of goals with your left foot and almost an equal amount with your right foot. Yeah, I think growing up, I played on the left a lot. Uh, I'm right footed, but I had to work on crossing and shooting on my left because I found myself on the left a lot. Um, and I feel like it just added something different to my game. Um, I feel comfortable on both feet um like i have not scored on my right foot yet this season um but i think it just helps it's just like a an added um benefit if you can use your left foot uh it's not as good as my right foot but you know i'm, I'm comfortable enough on it great great so if we if we're in a game and it's going to penalties we're gonna see you take a shot with your right foot yeah for sure <laughs> all right good um, so your parents came over to to watch the final where you know you lifted the trophy with Union Omaha. 
Have they been back? Uh, not yet, but they are coming. They're going to be coming to Arizona soon enough. Um, my brother's going to come over for a couple of weeks as well. So that's uh, it's always nice. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's great to, to give your family the opportunity to come over here and to be able to show them around. And it's, it's, it's so different. It's, you know, yeah. It's completely yeah, different. Well. Amazing. My, mom, my mom's obsessed with coming over here. Uh, so yeah bring her of course you'll bring her to a game right try and yeah. stop her yeah of course. <laughs> all right so last question greg what would you like to say to the fans just want to say thank you very much for all the support already this season um you know it was a bit of a tough start but we got through it and you know the support's been outstanding and just you know keep coming to the games keep supporting us and we'll give back to you as much as possible awesome Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. This is Josh Eastern, play-by-play broadcaster for your Phoenix Rising, and you are listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, on Saturday the 23rd of April, Phoenix Rising hosted the Miami FC and beat them 2-1. Miami scored first, making it a tense game, a game that once again kept us on the edge of our seats for the full 90 minutes and for the long five minutes of stoppage time. I have two fantastic guests with me to break down the game. Teo Mackey, sports journalist who covers Phoenix Rising FC for the Arizona Republic, and James Bacon, who's an avid Phoenix Rising supporter and a long-time season ticket holder. Teo and James, welcome back to the fan experience of Phoenix Rising FC supporters podcast. Delighted to have you on. Guys, before we get to the game highlights, let's take a look at the lineup. We saw four changes and a very different formation from our midweek Open Cup game against New Mexico. In that game, we had three centre-backs, Madrid, Lambert and Farrell. In the game against Miami, we had two centre-backs, Farrell and Lambert. In the midweek game, we had two wing-backs, Njai and Chaston. In the Saturday game against Miami, we had two full-backs, Flood and King. In the center of the park against New Mexico, we had Quinn, Calistri and Rodriguez. Against Miami, it was Quinn, Cejas and Rodriguez. And then up front in that midweek game against New Mexico, we had Repetto and Epps, two strikers. In the Saturday game against Miami, we had Hurst and Calistri on the wings. And up front, number nine, we had Repetto. Teo, how did you like that lineup? Um, I thought it made sense. I think it was just a matter of rotation with the three games in uh, eight days. You can't be playing guys 270 minutes. And so uh, I went back to the 4-3-3. We'll, we'll talk about how well it worked uh, in a little bit here. But I think, you know, I thought it was, uh, I mean, it was what I expected, right? It was them to go back to a 4-3-3 and they did. And I didn't, I didn't have any problems with it. I guess um, it was, it was notable to me. Probably the most notable thing in the lineup was that the wingers were Greg Hurst and Joey Calistri. No Santi Moar. And no um, Marcus Epps. Marcus Epps has struggled a little bit recently, and Santi's still dealing with an ankle injury. Um, right. So that, that was notable to me. Right. One of the standouts in that Wednesday game for me was uh, Channing Chaston. Did you see him? Did, did, was he a standout for you? I agree. I thought he played really well in that game, uh, especially for his debut. Um, but I, I wasn't surprised to see him not in the eleven. Um, you know, Darnell King is a stalwart for this team that that's going to play every game when he's healthy. And uh, Wednesday was just a matter of rotation for him. But hey, it's really good to have a backup like uh, that, you know that showed himself like Channing did. Great. 
Hey, James, I've got a question for you. I heard somebody had a Vuvuzela last night and it seemed like it was coming from your section. Was that you on the Vuvuzela? I believe so. We had a few different Vuvus coming out of my section last night. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun, James. That was fun. All right, yeah. guys, you ready to get into the highlights? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Okay, so the teams came out strong with both teams pushing toward goal in the opening minutes. Phoenix were playing out from the back using a style that was introduced in the preseason where instead of the goalie beginning the play with a goal kick, one of the defenders would start by kicking the ball to the goalie with the objective of drawing the Miami forwards up and creating space in the midfield. Like we saw in the preseason, the forwards saw this as an opportunity to press and press they did. We saw several close turnovers and rushed or sloppy clearances by Phoenix. One of those sloppy clearances came to one of the Miami players who quickly got the ball into the Phoenix area to Miami striker, Romeo Parks, who took a shot on goal. He was on the right side, just feet from the goal line. Thankfully, Ben Lunt was there to stop it like he's done so many times this season. Hey, James, just before this happened, you and I were texting each other about how this method of playing out from the back with one of the defenders passing the ball to the goalie wasn't working and was making us both nervous. Last time you were on the show for a game roundup, we had the same conversation. So far, we haven't conceded any goals, but the attempt on goal by Miami right there is about as close as, as it has come. And for me, it's too close for comfort. What do you think? I was going to say the exact same thing. And that right there was the reason it was too close for comfort is that it gave them too early of an opportunity for that shot on goal, which if we wouldn't have played that kind of motion out of the back, we wouldn't have had that many of their forwards in our defense zone where they could have the attack. And we knew that we shouldn't have played that style coming against an attacking team like Miami. But with them getting rid of Martinez, I think they were trying something a little different also because that was a big loss for them. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, Teo, I don't know. How do you, do you think it's worth the risk to play out of the back like that? Uh, I, I don't think you need to do it every time, but I think sometimes it can be good to kind of uh, shift the defense a little bit. Sure, sure. Okay, guys, for the yeah. next 10 minutes or so, momentum swung in favor of Miami. They had two more attempts on goal, but things looked up for Phoenix when Arturo Rodriguez was brought down just outside the Miami box, winning a free that was taken by Aiden Quinn. From the right side of the pitch, almost on the corner of Miami's 18-yard box, Aiden Quinn sent it toward the back post to the head of Phoenix striker Claudio Repetto. We saw the ball pass the goalie. We saw the net shake. We felt the stadium shake as the crowd erupted. But to our dismay, the ref said no goal as Repetto was offside. It was a good attempt. Teo, it would have been nice to have scored first. And nine times out of ten, that run would have been perfected. And we'd be celebrating a goal at this point. Yeah, it just, it's been a weird season kind of for Phoenix's strikers. And uh, it's, it was it was a nice finish by Claudio Repetto, but a striker's job is to time his run and he didn't do it there. And I think Claudio Repetto is a good player. I like him, what, what I've seen from him so far, but uh, you've got to time your run there. On a free kick, there's no excuse for it. Uh, it's, you know, um, in the run of play, there's so many moving parts. It's a little bit understandable, but on a free kick, Man, just just hold your run for an extra split second and uh, and be on side for sure, guys. In the twenty third minute, Luis Sejas earned a yellow card 
for taking down a Miami player who was making a quick counterattack. The first goal came in the 27th minute, just minutes after that, when Miami were playing out of the back. They were having trouble moving forward on their right wing, so they switched the point of the attack to the, to the, the other wing. They delivered a high ball into the Phoenix box to former Phoenix Rising player Josh Perez, who dived to head the ball and put it squarely into the bottom right corner of the Phoenix goal. So James, could the defense have done anything about that? Can you pinpoint any defensive failures in that play? Um, just a little bit of lack of speed, a little bit of misstep. I mean, you had two tall defenders in Ryan Flood and both Kevin Lambert right there in his way. So they were just strictly out of position, which is really odd for both of them to be that far off position, especially with such a little guy like Lopez is. I mean, I think he's five and a half, something like that, maybe. Five so, five. yeah, so it was just a lot of it was lucky little man got the win over the big man, which shouldn't have happened. But again, they're Lambert's not used to playing so far back on the defensive line. He usually plays more midfield. So I think he was a little maybe playing out of position more so than anything. And the speed, I think, just got them overall was just they're a little bit faster. Yeah, yeah. Right. Tail, for me, Lambert is king of those aerial duels, but not oh, this time. Yeah, I mean, he, he's great in the air. And uh, and Rick actually said this post game that he's so good in the air that he just kind of thinks he can get any ball. And what happened on that play is um, – well, Rick, you know, he always tries to uh, – to he doesn't like to put the blame on any one player. So he also, you know, pointed to the issues that led to the cross getting in in the first place, which is true. But um, but the big issue there was that Perez was on Lambert's back shoulder. Lambert never turned his head to spot Perez, which is just a, a thing, as James said, with a lack of familiarity at the position. So Lambert doesn't turn his shoulder to spot Perez. So he's just kind of in no man's land in the box. If he turns his head, he sees uh, Perez right there, takes two steps back, and then he wins the header easily. And then Flood was just kind of, uh, you know, not asleep at the wheel, but he just wasn't really, didn't really pick up that, hey, this is a dangerous situation and I need to get back to it. And he was also kind of lackadaisical and didn't, uh, you know, once he sees that Perez is there and Lambert's not picking him up, he needs to be in a dead sprint to pick him up himself and kind of cover for Kev. And uh, we didn't do that. So called a miscommunication, called two guys making an individual mistake. Um, it was just poor tracking. James, did you want to jump in there? No, I was just agreeing. Yeah, it was a lack of that little of speed. And yeah, he was looking more relying on Lambert to be there so he could react to going back to offense instead of staying defensive minded. So and the, right. the other thing I'll say is it wasn't uh, Lambert's first mistake of the game. He in no. the ninth minute um, parks, Romeo parks uh, had a really good chance and Ben Lunt saved well, but uh, it was a weird play where it looked like Lambert was tracking him and then he stepped up. Maybe he was trying to play an offside trap or something, but whatever happened, he completely lost Parks. If he was trying to play an offside trap, he didn't time it right. And uh, and Parks was able to get through with the through ball, it just kind of parted the Red Sea and Phoenix's back line. And uh, Lambert's been really good since moving to center back. Uh, what was it? I think five or six games ago. And um, and uh, last night he, he had a few early miscues that kind of showed his inexperience. I don't know if he's going to stay at center back when James Musa gets back. 
I imagine that he will not, but if he does, that's the, you know, the type of inexperienced thing that will just, you know, come as he gets more reps at the position. Great insight. Great insight. So that was in the 27th minute. And for the remainder of the first half, the next 20 minutes or so, the momentum started to shift towards Phoenix advantage. Um, they, they increased the pressure and it paid off. The Miami captain, Speedy Williams, picked up a yellow. Claudio Rapetto had a shot on goal, went wide. Greg Hurst had a header. It also went wide. Kevin Lambert intercepts a pass in the Phoenix half of the pitch. He moved forward, centered the ball to Arturo Rodriguez, who sent the ball right to Joey Calistri, who had a beautiful shot just inside the area, making the Miami keeper dive left. The ball spilled out to Rapetto, who cut the ball back into the center of the box to Kevin Lambert, who slides in and taps the ball into the Miami goal. James, finally, a goal. Let's go. Finally, goal rising. Oh, man, we were looking for that. It's, I don't know how he got the blocks in the first size from, what was it, uh, Arturo's shot in on goal right there. I don't know how it bounced Me out. Too but it was glad that Lambert knew to step forward, that they had the communication. Lambert was in his midfield position, playing his position, coming forward, being a little poacher kind of style that he steals off of, you know, that's what midfielders do. They there to recover the overspill. So. Yeah, it was really nice. And uh, tail, this wouldn't have worked if Kev Lambert hadn't left his position at center back and made that run. So it was a brave move and it paid off. Yeah. He, he said after the game that it was, he thought, okay, there's only two minutes till halftime. I may as well make this run. If I get tired, who cares? I'll rest up at halftime. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, you know, he actually won the ball originally to start the counterattack, And, um, and then it played it to Arturo, played it to Calistri, shot, saved, Repetto squared it across. And there was Kevin Lambert. who was like a 70 yard run into the box and that's the type of run that, you know, 95% of the time it doesn't get rewarded. You make that 70 yard run and the ball doesn't come to you, but you make it for the 5% of the time that it does. And it uh, worked out beautifully. It was beautiful. So that takes us into half time. And um, James, over to you. Can you summarize how you were feeling that entire first half? Oh, right after we got in the goal heading into the halftime, I knew the momentum was going to change. That was the energy that we were looking for. We should have already had it. We had this call-off goal from Repetto, so we knew we had a momentum changing coming into the second half, but we knew something had to change. I was still frustrated playing with that slow-style soccer. Playing out of that backfield is just still like – we were playing really wide too, which was really – I'm like, we need to cluster up a little bit more, play a little bit tighter. And so to me, I was real still frustrated. I was glad we got the momentum coming. That extra two minutes we had at uh, stoppage time was all we needed. You know that rising loves those extra. That's all we ever need, an extra three minutes. You know we got a goal. So um, exactly. that's all they needed. So like you said, exactly. Lambert knew he had the time. He played the position. He wanted to play forward. That's what we needed out of him. Everyone just start coming forward, start coming forward. So. Super excited for second half. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tail, the score is one all. Each team had four shots on goal. Um, shots on target, Phoenix had two, Miami had three. Phoenix had 46% of the possession. We had nine interceptions, Miami had six. 
We had zero corners. They had three. So that's kind of what the stats tell us. But you were at the game last night. How did it feel to you? Did it feel like a disappointing performance from Phoenix? It, it, did it look like we were breaking down defensively, all, not attacking as much? What was your feeling? First of all, you said they only had four shots. Phoenix only had four shots in the first half. Each team only had four shots on goal. Wow. Because they, they finished with 20. Exactly. Oh, my God. I didn't realize <laughs> 16 in the second half. It felt like they dominated, but 16 is a lot. Um, that's really impressive. Um, no, I, I thought 1-1 was a completely fair result. Uh, I didn't think Phoenix looked very good in the first half. Um, I don't know. They, I, those stats kind of very, are very even. I think going down 1-0 would have uh, – I don't think it would have flattered Miami, but it – it would have been a little bit harsh on Phoenix. I think 1-1 was a, a fair score going into the break. Me too. In the second half, both goalies came up big as both teams got opportunities on goal. But from my vantage point, Phoenix Rising began to gel and kicked it into high gear. By the end of the game, we had 20 shots, just like you said, Tail, to their 10. So that's 2-1. Two to one. We had seven shots on target. They had four defense stepped up, blocking five Miami shots compared to their two blocks. In the 69th minute, Aiden Quinn forces a bad pass from Miami in the midfield. Greg Hurst was there to pick it up. He passed it back to Quinn. Quinn passed it forward to Hurst, who shoots, but the keeper got to it. I thought, I thought that was going to be a goal. I was on the edge of my seat. I was standing for that one. Just a couple of minutes later, we're, we're moving the ball around the Miami box. Sejas catches the ball in the half volley and blasts it toward goal, but a Miami player got in the way. The ball hit him on the right side of the head and literally knocked him out. Tail, a ball like that can do serious damage. Yeah, that was a little bit scary, wasn't it? Uh, it was. He was down for a while, so that was, uh, I was glad to see that it looked like everyone was okay afterward. Yeah, totally. James, in your playing days, what's the worst injury that you sustained? Uh, for me, just the rolled ankle, a lot of that same what uh, Santi Moore is just going through. So just that misstep and rolling over that ankle, that was ugly. Oh, Getting yeah. pelted in the head like that. Yeah, not as hard as that one. I would not want a Satejas kick to the head by any oh, means. God. So. <laughs> not. I know what you're talking about with the, the rolled ankles and and. You know, you know that it's hurting that day. And then the next day, it's a balloon and it's purple. Yep. And you're wondering if you're ever going to walk again. It's no fun. <laughs> no fun. Nope. Run like that. I think he's still feeling it a little bit. His step was off. His touch is off. But he's coming back slowly. <laughs> okay. Okay. Shortly before the 90 minutes were up, we, we saw a, a very similar play with Seos. A clearance. Mm -hmm. The ball was cleared, but it fell to Seos. And again, Left foot rocketed that ball towards the goal. Goalie saw it coming, full stretch across the goal, but he couldn't get to it. What a goal. And I think, Tao, that we, we saw that coming. Um, I mean, it was deserved, right? We, we, Phoenix was dominating, as we've talked about. They had some really good chances. Uh, Joey Calistri had one. Do you remember the play where he just put the left back in a complete blender? The guy was about to fall over. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, he rolled. And then he shot sure. in the upper 90. Keeper made a really good save. And there was another one. It was a Calistri header uh, from pretty far out um, off a cross from Greg Hurst. The keeper made another really good save. So it was definitely coming. But still, you get to the 88th minute 
And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm writing my game story that, that goes up right at the final whistle. And I'm writing Phoenix fought back from an early goal to tie. And uh, you know, it broke their streak of five straight wins. And I'm fully ready to just write, okay, well, they dominated the second half, but they couldn't get the breakthrough goal. And, uh, and then, you know, I look up from writing my story and Sejas is putting it onto his left foot and he just, oh my God, what a goal. <laughs> Uh, what a goal what a goal that is so awesome james did did, sorry go ahead tail i i was out meeting a friend in scottsdale after the game and and i was like oh they're showing the rising game here that uh the highlights of the rising game that's that's cool and uh no it turns out that it was sports center and it was the sports center number five play of the day oh wow (laughs) <laughs> wow so, better still getting some national recognition Louis that's Sayers. fantastic james how are you feeling coming into that last 10 minutes were you were you nervous or did you think that one of those balls was going to make the net oh i knew i knew one of those balls was going to make the net and i knew the energy wasn't coming if he would have overshot the net like the rest of them had already gone wide or gone high they were the attack mode was on they weren't going to let that pressure down but seeing Satejas get the ball and plant it and you see him take his plant left foot goes back. I felt confident it was going to that net. He hits bangers for miles. He, he was in his position and he wanted redemption. He, the goalie already blocked one off. So he's like, Nope, you're not getting me twice. So, (laughs) so is he your man of the match or are you giving it to Lambert or Ben Lunt? Ooh, definitely. I'm probably definitely would say he was the man of match. He broke it. He had that banger. It was definitely like Teo said, it turned to a top five. Lambert definitely was definitely on the backup star of the game. He would played his position and he would showed up in that second half. But yeah, Sateas, he had a he had a whole solid game the whole game. So yeah, he really he played did. position. So okay, so let's take a look at the formation. How did the did, did the defenders do last night, Teo? And just as a reminder, you had King, Joey Farrell, Lambert, and Ryan Flood. Um, I thought that the defense was good. Uh, As I said, Lambert had those two early mistakes, but he played really well. As James said, he played really well after that. He got, he had a header that was cleared off the line too. He was just making a nuisance of himself the entire, like the last, Pretty much after after Miami's goal, he was making a nuisance of himself. So I thought he was really good. Um, the back line was just stout, and it's what Rick has talked about this year. He wants them to be more defensive. He wants to have numbers behind the ball more often and uh, kind of understand that Phoenix's offensive, you know, attacking talent is going to be enough to win them games. Uh, they don't need to be putting eight men forward at all times, and uh, I worked out that way. Great. Hey, I've got a question for you, James. Flood and Enjai, are they still fighting for that position, that left fullback position, game after game? I believe so. There's still a lot of that conversation of who's actually going to be that spot. Ryan's definitely earned his rights to what he's been six games deep in that position since Enjai went down and he's dominated. He's showed improvement consistently. And nobody faults him for the penalty shot last week on in New Mexico. That was not his fault. That was completely defensive, right on goal. I was, and then we just fault him for his 
be as accuracy on a couple of those shots. He just needs a little bit more confidence on shot on goal, playing it his defense. He's a he's a forward that's playing defense. So he just needs to lock in his defensive mind and then pick up his speed and he'll be there. So but yeah, yeah. Njai, he's won his spot back too. So coming back from an injury, you're gonna see some interesting lineups in the next few weeks. I agree. Over to you, Teo. Let's talk about the midfield. Quinn, Sejas, and Rodriguez. How did they do? Um, not great in the first half. Uh, they didn't control the game like you know Rising's midfield usually does. Um, I thought Miami kind of uh, knocked Aiden Quinn out of his rhythm, and uh, Arturo and, and Luis didn't really impact the game early. Uh, Rick actually said. He, so in the 65th minute, he subbed uh, Arturo off, moved Calistri into the midfield, Moar on on the wing. And um, I thought that move really changed the game. After that point, Phoenix kind of dominated the game. Again, Joey Calistri was really, really good um, last night. But, um, but Rick said that when in the 65th minute, when he took off Arturo, he was debating taking off Luis Sejas. And he thought, oh, you know what? I'll leave the guy in with more experience. And uh, man, did Luis Sejas make Rick look smart. <laughs> he sure did. He sure did. It was nice to see Moar coming on last night. Uh, James, the the guy next to me, after after Moore was on for about 10 minutes and, and really making a difference, the guy next to me said, I had forgotten how good Santi Moore is. How did you like see him, seeing him come on the field? I had the same kind of expression. I've forgotten how good he was because... Before the injury, we were all talking, he's lost his touch. He's very heavy footed. His first touch was not classical Santi Moore. Now it was starting to see more of that Santi Moore style. His speed was is coming back and he has good first touch, some good eye vision. He knew where the players were for pass to get some assist, assist or make people in position. So great to see him back on the field and turning it up. He'll be a yeah. big difference change. And I was great for that sub. Rodriguez, like I told you last night, he needs to spend a little bit of time on the bench. He's he's overplaying the game. A little too much self-centered. He's forget that he got nine other guys back there to help him out. So <laughs> you know, I love to see when Rodriguez gets the ball and when he's got three players attacking him and he dribbles out of it. But mm-hmm. I would much prefer to see that happen closer to to the goal because this is happening in midfield and he doesn't really need to turn it on in midfield he needs to turn it on when he's got a shot on goal when he can dribble past one or two players and then take a shot because he'll get past one guy he'll get past the second guy the third guy's just going to foul him and he's just going to get fouled to the ground and be feeling that at the end of the season um or long before the end of the season so that that's my thought on, on Rodriguez. That or he's losing the ball to the third guy that's backing him out. He loses right. the ball right there and it's going out of play. He just he's drawing the players, correct, which means we have an open man pass the ball out and he's not passing the ball out. So like and it's frustrating. But like you said, if he would do that and hold the ball and then burn two, three defenders inside the goal and take shot on goal, let's do it. But he's doing it midfield. There's no point midfield. Spread them out, run them around, send the ball back, <laughs> play out of the backfield again. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, I, um, I, I, I just wanted to say I agree with your analysis, you guys' analysis there on Arturo. 
Um, I think he's a really good player. He might be my favorite player on this team to watch when he's uh, when he's on. But uh, last night he just he wasn't sharp enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Tao, I'm going to stick with you and give you an opportunity to give your man of the match. Um, I've I've given him a couple shout outs here. Uh, my, my man of the match is probably a hot take. It's Joey Calistri. Um, I. So let, let, let's run down the guys you talked about. Uh, Luis Sejas, I don't think he was good except for the goal. Um, the goal, obviously, moment of the match, moment of the season, probably to this point. Um, Rick, Rick and Luis both said the same thing. They didn't think he was very good. And the midfield didn't control the game, and, and that's, you know, falls one-third on the shoulders of Luis. Um, Kev was really good the last 60 minutes, but he had those two early mistakes he was probably the most responsible for Miami's goal. So I think it's a little bit hard to give it to him. Uh, ben Lunt was awesome. I think there's a, definitely a shout for Ben Lunt. But man, Joey Calistri, it's just so impressive. He played 93 minutes against New Mexico in the midfield. Then today, he plays on the wing. Sorry, Saturday, he plays on the wing, makes a complete nuisance of himself, uh, has the goal that leads to the rebound on the, or sorry, the, the shot that leads to the rebound on the first goal. Uh, a couple minutes later, he has a really nice play down the right wing where he forces a, that we talked about earlier that forces a good save. He had a header that forced a good save. He was just, he was Phoenix's most dangerous player when he was on the wing. And then he moved into the midfield and helped completely turn the game to where Phoenix for the first time all game was controlling the midfield. Um, so he didn't have a goal. He didn't have an assist, but I thought he had a really immense impact on the match. I thought he was incredible. James, can you give a shout out to um, Vito? No, absolutely. I completely agree. Vito is definitely a nuisance on that field. He has been numerous times. Surprised he didn't come in and be clutch like he always is. He definitely mm -hmm. took his own shots on goal. He was definitely there. But yeah, let's go, Vito. It's time yeah. to start dancing. He needs some more opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, next up, we go to Los Angeles taking on Los Dos. What's your score prediction? How's that one going to go, Teo? Uh, well, let me look at the table. I don't know how they're doing this year. I assume poorly. They usually are not great. Um, yeah, <laughs> two, two wins from their first seven. Actually, better than they usually are. Um, well, that was the game that Phoenix got right a few weeks ago, wasn't it? They are. They were struggling. Yeah, let's see. They, uh, yeah, we, well, they'd beaten San Antonio and then they, they beat uh, LA 3 1. It was the only time in the last, uh, only time since the season opener that Phoenix has scored more than two goals. So I'll say that they do that again. I say that they go into LA and win 4 1. Wow, that's a hot take right there. I think, um, uh, well, they also gave eight days of rest, which will be nice. It's a Sunday. The game that you're talking about were, uh, was in week five. So that was just two weekends ago. And our goals, two of them came from Sejas. And then the other one came from Marcus Epps. So over to you, James. How do you think that game is going to go? Do you predict a win for Phoenix? I always predict a win for Phoenix, of course. Um, in LA, I think, it should be a struggle match. I don't see it being four. I think it's probably going to be a lot slower, probably like a two one. It depends on who we put in goal. It depends off Lutz in there or if Lalo gets a start. Um, I would probably see them starting Lalo in LA, just give Lunt a little bit more rest. But so that'll depend it. 
So, but thinking more of a low scoring game, probably two, two, one. I would like to see that clean sheet. If it's, yeah. if it's not, I'm going to go with clean sheets and say two, zero, but gotcha. two, one. Great. Okay, guys, this has been fantastic. Tail, thank you for joining us today on the fan experience. Thank you. Let's do it again next week. I guess they're away next week. Next home game. Next home game. James, it's great hearing from you. Thanks for coming on. Oh, absolutely. Appreciate it. Anytime, my friend. Let's go rising. Let's go rising. Listeners, stick around for the next segment. Thank you for listening. And by now, you know that it's more fun when you listen with a friend. Enjoy. All right. This is Brian, a.k.a. the Mass Maniac from Union 602. And you are listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, it's the end of the month. Time to welcome back Dominic Kearns for a monthly roundup and a look ahead to next month's games. Dom, it's great to have you on. We saw you post on social media during the week about your growing family. So congrats on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we actually knew for about a month now, but this is when we felt comfortable sharing. And we'll have another fan to take out to the Rising matches because Luke has gone to a couple this year and it's been pretty fun. Okay, the fan base is growing. Fantastic. Hey, um, let's you're here to talk about a monthly roundup. So if we look back, the preseason, we we all felt strong about it. And then March was a bit of a downer. So tell us about how March changed as we went into April and just overall what happened. Well, you can't do much better than April. Um, six wins, no losses, no draws. It was a perfect month on paper. No. A lot of those wins were close. Four of the six were decided by one goal. None of those wins were by more than two goals. So you're not necessarily seeing this Phoenix Rising team that is fully clicking. You're not seeing these 4-0, 5-0 wins like you were seeing during that 2019 season when we were setting records. But six wins out of six. So you can't complain about that. So amazing. All right, so take us through the stats in April. Yeah, so again, the the six wins, um, you know, most of these decided by one goal, though. So April 2nd, we get the 2-0 over San Antonio. Uh, We win 1-0 over Valley United in extra time on April 6th. We respond with three goals against Los Dos. That's a 3-1 final. Um, New Mexico gave us all we could handle on the 16th, but we get the 1-0 win. Beat them again, 2-1, and then yesterday, another 2-1. So one thing that you may have noticed there, Phoenix Rising did not concede more than one goal in any match this month. This is coming off the month of March where we conceded two or more goals in every match that mattered. So clearly there is a point of emphasis after that San Antonio match. Rick Schantz was saying, look, we got to get back to basics on the defensive side of the ball, and the team has really responded only three goals conceded this month amazing how are we doing in the standings yeah so obviously you win four out of four usl matches uh you're gonna jump up a little bit so the way the standings look right now we are in fourth place in the western conference on 15 points um colorado springs and san antonio are in first with 18 points each from seven matches played we have 15 from seven matches played. Uh, but, you know, it's an easy gap to make up. And if we keep this form, we can definitely do it. Another thing worth noting, the seventh place team is RGV Toros. That's the last playoff berth this year. We are six points clear of them. 
and we are seven points clear of New Mexico, who is just outside of the top seven. Did I hear that right? There's joint first place? Yeah, so Colorado Springs and San Antonio are both uh, on 18 points. Colorado Springs has the goal difference edge. They have a plus seven. San Antonio, just a plus four. And we're in fourth place. Who's in third? That would be San Diego Loyal. Uh, However, they have played one more match than us. So they have 16 points from eight matches. Okay, so we're looking good moving forward. Okay, Dom, let's run through those games from the month of April. Maybe talking about the highlights and the lowlights from each one or anything that stood out to you. Yeah, I mean, not too many lowlights. The Valley United was a tough match, but um, I think that's a match where in other seasons we don't get that breakthrough. Um, One thing that I saw from the month of April is this team has shown a resilience. And even if it's going ugly for large stretches on the field, the defense has been resolute and everyone is of the same belief. We're going to find a way to get through this. We don't know how, but we're going to find a way to get through this. Um, And you look at some of these matches that we've won. We had a late winner against Miami, late winner against Valley United, the late penalty save against New Mexico United, um, and, and a late winner against United in the Open Cup too. So, I mean, in four of those six matches, the outcome was decided in the last 10 minutes of play. Um, even the 2-0 win over San Antonio, we got our second goal in stoppage time to put that one away. So, um, you know, a lot of these have been tight matches, but there's been a good uh, mentality in the team and they're finding ways to win. Amazing. So, Dom, we spoke at the end of March and we talked about expectations looking forward to the month of April. And it's fair to say that Rising blew those expectations out of the water. So let's take a look ahead to May and see what's ahead of us and maybe give us what your expectations are for the month of May. So the first thing that jumps out at me is if you thought there were a lot of Rising matches in April, brace yourselves because you're going to be seeing a lot of this team in May. Uh, we have five USL matches um, at Los Dos on May 1st versus San Antonio May 7th. Uh, the Republic, Sacramento Republic in the Open Cup on May 11th. Hotly anticipated match against Tampa Bay Rowdies on May 15th. That's going to be on national TV. New Mexico away on May 21st. Hartford Athletic on the 28th and What's not listed there, the fifth round of the Open Cup would be May 24th or 25th. So if we can beat Sacramento away, that's another match in May. That ends up being seven matches in the month of May. So our depth is really going to be tested. Wow. How, what do you think about our, our chances playing away to SAC in the Open Cup? I mean, I think that's a match we can win. And, you know, the uh, actually the PHNX guys have talked quite a bit about how much priority do you put on the Open Cup. Rick Schantz has shown he's put a lot of priority on the Open Cup. He started Ben Lunt uh, this past Wednesday, along with at least half of our regular starting 11. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of starters out there. And for that reason, I do think we can win that. Um, 
which means I would be expecting seven matches in the month of May. <laughs> wow. So in when we were drawn against SAC, there were four teams in that group. So if we beat SAC, does that mean that we play the winner of the other two teams? Or does it all kind of go into a hat and we start again with another set of groups? That's a great question. My understanding is it gets resorted after this round. But then the next draw is for the round of 16 and the quarterfinals. So the next draw, there's going to be a group of four. But that time we will play the winner of the other tie. Okay, gotcha. This time it gets redrawn still. Great. Okay, appreciate your research on that, Dom. And you mentioned that you've been doing a little bit of other research on the side about a particular statistic that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so I think there's been some uh, talk from Rick Schantz about this. And even if you were just you know, watching the matches, the eye test bears this out. But Phoenix Rising has been outpossessed in four consecutive matches. Now, you know, on its face, people debate, okay, how important is possession? I, I think it just depends on the, you know, the team you have and what kind of tactics you're trying to accomplish. I think our 2018 rising team, for example, we were a very direct attacking team and we did not possess the majority of the time. You know, most matches we were in the 40% on possession, but we were winning most of our matches. We got to the USL final. So you can win that way. I mean, Leicester City won the Premier League in 2016 that way. Um, That being said, the last couple of years with Solomon Asante, with uh, John Beccaro, we've been more of a heavy possession team um, trying to wear teams down like that. I think at some point there was a tactical shift, probably after the 3-2 San Diego Loyal loss, where, you know, the coaching staff had to realize, look, these are the guys we have. We have people that are great on direct attacks, like Arturo Rodriguez, like Greg Hurst, um, people with speed, like Marcus Epps, even though we haven't seen the consistency from him yet, where we want to get them out in space and let them go to work in space. Um, and so now you've seen, I mean, against Los Dos and then the two New Mexico matches, we didn't even have 45% possession, but we won all of those matches. Yesterday ended up being uh, 49%, which was not the case in the first half. It ended up getting higher because Miami started settling for the draw towards the end. Um, but we're we're taking what the what the opponent is giving us and not trying to force the issue. Because, um, again, it just comes down to your tactics and your personnel. And I think the second approach of, you know, being resolute at the back and taking the opportunities that are presented to us, that's worked well because it's cleaned up our defense immensely. Great. So before we get on to talking about expected results, the back line, our defense was a big question mark this time last month at the end of March, because Musa was out and just we weren't sure about how things were going to play out. So what do you think? What do you think of our back line? How does it look right now? Um, I think putting Kev Lambert in a uh, center back position has been a genius move uh, because I've noticed at least a couple times in every match, teams are trying to throw counterattacks at us 
and Kev is able to use his speed to break those up. The only time that I can think of where that didn't work was Nico Brett's goal in the Open Cup on Wednesday. And I don't even blame Kev Lambert for that much. That was just an absolutely perfectly weighted pass into a two-inch window. Any shorter and Kev breaks that up, any longer and it goes to the other defender. Literally just a perfect pass that he was able to slot home. But otherwise, Kev has been able to stop those attacks um, and make the important challenges. It's been a huge, huge difference maker. Um, And then, you know, in most of these matches, he's back there. Sometimes him and Joe Farrell play um, together as center backs. Sometimes it's just been Kev as the main center back. But either way, having Kev back there has completely changed uh, how many goals we're conceding and how solid we look back there. And I just love it when you have a center back that can attack. And, you know, two of our center backs have scored goals against Miami. Kev Lambert had that beauty. And then earlier on in the season, it was James Musa that went forward, uh, headed the ball in, into the goal. And from distance, this wasn't from a set play from a corner that we might have expected, but he just went forward. And um, I think it was Aiden Quinn that delivered the ball to his head and James Musa put it in the back of the net. I love it when we've got attacking center backs. Okay, let's look forward to the month of May, Dom. Expected results. So we're starting out with Los Dos. Yeah, I mean, you got to win that. I mean, Los Dos, they've, they're, they're kind of in the hunt. They're not in the top seven, but they've put some results together. But, you know, you got to find a way to win that match, I think. And then San Antonio. San Antonio at home. You'd like to win that one. I do think that there's going to be some squad rotation, though, because we're going to want to put a strong 11 in for the Sacramento Open Cup match. So I would love to win that match. I wouldn't be devastated if it's a draw, though, because really um, San Antonio plays it very similar to us. They're content to sit back, you know, absorb most of the possession and look for their opportunities. I could see that being a really tricky match. And um, I would not be terribly surprised if it ended in a draw. Okay. Then we've got that open cup game midweek. And then we come home to Tampa Bay Rowdies. How's that, how's that going to go? I mean, it's Tampa's a weird team this year. So you have a lot of expectations on them. And if you just look at the standings, it looks like they're fine. They're in fourth place. And yet, um, Owen posted on Twitter yesterday, they've only won one of their last five matches. So they're, they're having some difficulties, and I think we're very motivated to send a message, and I do think we'll get that one. I could see it playing out similar to how they beat us in Tampa last year, like a 2-1. Okay, yeah, Tampa's, they're certainly not the team that they were last year. Then we've got New Mexico, away to New Mexico. I mean, it's going to be tough. I, I don't know what the final result looks like in that match. I Obviously, we have the streak of not losing to them, and everyone wants that to continue. At the same time, that could be the match before our fifth round Open Cup, potentially. You know, if we beat Sac Republic, then we're going to have a midweek against very likely an MLS side. And then you would expect some rotation to keep our best bodies fresh for that match. Um, So it's honestly, that's a really hard one to predict. Gotcha. And then the last game of the month would be against Hartford. That's in Hartford, right? 
Yes. And I don't think they've won a game yet this season. No, they've, they've you know, made some steps, though. They Obviously, they played Red Bulls tough in the Open Cup. That was a 2-1 loss. They actually tied Rowdies for their only point of the season. And uh, they were beating Detroit City before uh, Detroit City came back on them. So, you know, that shouldn't be a complete pushover, but their defense can be exposed, especially on set pieces. And they don't have much in much teeth in their attacking. So I think we win that match. Great, great. So fantastic games to look forward to for the month of May. Dom, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your roundup for April and predictions for May. But before <clears throat> we go, how's the life in the more in the world of mortgages and high finance? Um, <clears throat> I'll be honest, it's uh it's tough. Rates are increasing and uh look, people still need to buy homes. And that's something I can help with. And I can help you get from making an offer to closing on the home faster than your traditional 30-day escrow period. And sometimes that's what you need because this market's so competitive. If most people are doing 30-day closes and you can do a 20-day close, that's the seller getting their money 10 days faster. So they might be, hey, let's take this offer because we're going to get our money faster. So I'm just trying to help people out wherever they can. You know, and if you have some bills you need to pay off, high car payment, high credit cards, then there's still a benefit to refinancing right now because you can save potentially $400, $300 on your monthly payment just by paying that off with the equity in your house. So awesome. if any of those situations apply, let me know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not ideal times. Um, one last thing. Did you want to know about max points? available and, and what we would be looking for as far as expectations from the month of May. Yeah, five games, 15 points on the table. What's your threshold? Um, <clears throat> let me pull up those matches again. I mean, it's going to be tricky because you have a lot of congested matches and we don't even know if there's going to be another Open Cup match towards the end of May. But I, I think... You know, Lostos and Hartford away should be wins. Then Tampa, I think we can win. I think you'd want to see at least 10 points from those, you know, out of 15. I kind of look at it that way. If you're getting two points a match, you're going to be fine. And then you're going to have structure or you can do better than that too. So I think we can get 10 points out of that that month. And you know, some good open cup success. That would be a great month. That would be the icing on the cake. Fantastic. Dom, really appreciate you spending time with us. If anybody wants to reach out and contact you about getting a mortgage or refinance, what's the best way for them to contact you? Um, Well, my phone number is uh, 714-653-3381. I can uh, do calls or texts on there. And uh, also you can reach me, you know, just on Facebook, uh, my Twitter, you can message me at uh, Positively Dom. So there's a whole bunch of ways to reach out. Awesome. Dom, you know how the world of work and family time is blending? Well, here we are mixing up work and playtime. I see that what you and I are doing right now is kind of a playtime. So long may it last. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dom. Oh, of course. Have a good one. Awesome. Thanks, Dom. Can we go now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is Sarah. 
from Union 602, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Next up, we've got John Morrissey with his weekly segment bringing us the results from around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. John, it's great to have you on the show. We were treated to an action-packed week. Week 7 had a lot of positives for Phoenix Rising. Hey, Niall. Yeah, I mean, action-packed weekend once again. Aren't they all in the USL, though? Uh, We started uh, the match week with a draw. Tampa Bay dropping points to a quite weak New York Red Bulls 2 side. And that kind of dysfunction really persisted at the top of the East as Louisville City dropped points against the Charleston Battery. Obviously, anyone can beat anyone any week in this league. That's just the nature of the beast. Neither Louisville nor Tampa, who are really favorites in that Eastern Conference, uh, looked strong in their matches. Elsewhere, you did see some expected things go on, though. Pittsburgh dominated, and Detroit got a late win against Hartford Athletic, extending their winning streak and moving up to third place in the East ahead of Tampa Bay. I know it's maybe not been the strongest of performances on a week-to-week basis for Detroit, but just um, the winning streak that they're on, the quality and the points that they've racked up is really something to behold for an expansion side. Moving on to the West a little bit now, I think one of the really surprise results of the weekend was Rio Grande beating Sacramento 2-1. You saw RGV really use their width effectively. They've kind of fluctuated their system a little bit this season, but they sat in this back five kind of look, really did well to engage their fullbacks and pull off the win. And yeah, they were outshot, but still a nice victory for them. Colorado Springs in an interconference matchup uh, took care of business against FC Tulsa. Tulsa started the season well, but they've really fallen off and their defense just looks sloppy at this point in time. And Colorado Springs is really something of a juggernaut. Uh, San Antonio beat New Mexico. Obviously, New Mexico is a familiar opponent for Phoenix Rising fans at this point. But San Antonio is just another of those teams that really refuses to lose. So solid, so good at the back. They do everything you need to just get over the line, no matter their matchup. Uh, Elsewhere in the conference, El Paso drew with Oakland in a, a pretty entertaining game. And same result for Las Vegas and LA Galaxy 2. Of course, the Rising got the 2-1 to win against Miami. Uh, We had a couple more games on Sunday as well. Birmingham beat Loudoun. Uh, Birmingham really has struggled for goals so far to this uh, point in the season and finally uh, doubled up and got two, albeit against a Loudoun side that looks miserable in the past few weeks. And then one more interconference match to uh, round up the actual league action. And that was Indy 11 downing the defending champs, Orange County, 3-1. to one. And I know Orange County maybe isn't off to the best of starts in this season, but that's still a notable result for an Indy side that, again, has just been this kind of mercurial sort of team. I did want to hit on a couple of Open Cup headlines as well, where we saw San Antonio advance past uh, uh, the Austin team from Major League Soccer. Uh, Orlando City barely beating Tampa Bay and avoiding that cup set kind of magic. Uh, Elsewhere, we had Tormenta really downing Birmingham easily in a surprise game. And we also had Detroit advancing past Columbus. So a couple of results there for championship sides with uh, varied results, either losing to League One or advancing past MLS. But the Open Cup is a blast also, and I did want to touch on it real quick. 
But uh, yeah, that's all I've got in terms of news of the week. Um, I'll catch up with you next week with the same sort of topic. And we're looking forward to it, John. And we're looking forward to a great month of May and great series of matches coming up for Phoenix Rising. Thanks for being with us, John. Hey, everyone. This is Matt Robards, Phoenix Rising supporter and season ticket holder. And you are listening to The Fan Experience on wherever you get your podcasts. Let's wrap things up with a preview of our next game. No Easter egg to share with you this week, but in case you missed the Easter egg in last week's episode, listen to the first few minutes of the game roundup with Matt and Kelly, where you'll hear them sing like angels, and then listen to the last two minutes of the show. I'd hate for you to miss it, and it's all thanks to our goalkeeper, Ben Lund. Okay, game preview. Our focus is on the next game where we travel to Carson City to play LA Galaxy 2 Los Dos on Sunday, May 1st. However, there are a few other games that Rising fans might want to keep an eye on. Tampa Bay Rowdies travel to Memphis on Wednesday and then the Rowdies host San Diego Loyal on Saturday. What would you like to see? Two draws? I'll take that. We'll be playing Sacramento Republic in the Open Cup and we should watch their match this weekend. They host Las Vegas Lights. Be good to see how they do to track their form. Also, San Antonio, we're going to play them soon and they host Monterey Bay this weekend. So watch for that game on Saturday. Back to our game against Los Dos. It's on Sunday, May 1st and it's at 5pm. So we've each played seven games. We've got 15 points. Los Dos have eight points. Phoenix won five, lost two. Los Dos, they've won two, lost three, drawn two. Okay, to put that in perspective, we've got a 71% win rate. They've got a 28% win rate. We've scored 15 goals this season. They've scored nine. We've given up nine goals. They've given up 10. Both teams have over 90 fouls this season. Phoenix have 16 yellows, Los Dos have 17 yellows and two reds. Sounds like it's going to be a scrappy one. You might see fullbacks Owen Lamb and Josh Drack make runs on the right and left sides respectively. You might not, as coach DeMay has been moving his players around a lot recently and there's always the possibility of players getting moved up to the first team. Last year we played a way to low dose and we lost 3-0. Not this time. We may need to rest players. We may need to play a B team, whatever that might be these days. But I can see us losing to LA2 this time. Marcus Epps will score again. Greg Hurst will score with both feet. And Luis Sejas will take a shot. So hard, the ball ends up on the beach in Santa Monica. 4-0. That's my prediction. We got this. Thanks to Greg Hurst for coming on the show today, to Teo Mackey and James Bacon for the game roundup, to Dominic Kearns for the monthly roundup, and to John Morrissey for the weekly segment covering news and results from around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising supporters. Thank you for supporting us through a full year of this pod. If you enjoy listening, share this episode with a friend, retweet us on Twitter, give us a thumbs up on Facebook. Thanks for giving us a five-star rating on your podcasting platform. What, you haven't done that yet? It's easy. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks for subscribing and following this podcast. We love hearing from you, so send your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Greg Hurst, the striker at Fanex. Just kidding. Email us, thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at fanexperiencefc. And the invitation's always there for you to come on the show and talk rising. 
can't wait to shout, cheer, and go wild with you at the next home game. And until then, we'll be screaming at the TV for that game against Los Dos. Hashtag the balls in the drink. Hashtag bring home the win. Hashtag we want the cup. Hashtag go Rezzy!